0: I want to make a promise to you. You pray that prayer every day of your life, every morning of your life, and mean it. You pray that prayer, give me Jesus, every morning of your life and mean it, and I promise you, life for you will be an adventure, and as Oswald Chambers puts it, and a romance. Give me Jesus. Wow. That's what we need. That's what we have to have. As exiles, we have to have him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what Julie just sang with Ken, we have to have it. We can't live without it, not as exiles. If we weren't exiles, we could pretty much take care of ourselves, but we're exiles. Oh, Lord, bring yourself into our lives every day, right now, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to share with you four very short tales. Amazing reality of these tales is the stunning shared bottom line. Very short tale number one. Once upon a time there was a girl, a beautiful girl, and she won the national lottery for queen. She became queen, and she was a Jew and an exile at that. Go figure. And she was planning to live her life happily ever after, because nobody knew that she was a Jew. Uh Uh-oh. But there was an evil man who hated Jews. And he crafted a law through duplicity to exterminate every Jew in the entire kingdom. But the queen found out about it. And in a stunning turn of events, the evil man gets impaled. The king and the queen collaborate to countermand that first decree with another to spare the lives of every Jew in the empire, and the Jews and the queen are saved. The end. Very short story number two. Once upon a longer time ago, there was a young man taken captive, marched to a city he had never heard of, exiled. But lo and behold, when he gets to the city, he is enrolled in the greatest university in the land. Can you believe it? And he gets to eat in the king's cafeteria. No kidding. Only the cafeteria offers foods and drinks that are not only unclean, they are unhealthful. Now, contrary to the girl who wouldn't admit she was a Jew, this boy is very upfront. I am a Jew, and I will not eat that food. And so, with a little test about vegetables and water, go figure again. He and his buddies come out of that test, when it's done, finally, ten times smarter than every student enrolled in the National University. Wow. They got appointed as counselors, by the way, to the king himself. Once upon a time, that king couldn't sleep. Just like the king in the first story, by the way, this one can't sleep either. Calls in his wise men. I've had a dream. They can't tell him the dream, and so they can't interpret the dream. He's so furious, he orders the execution of all of them, including our young exiled Jew with his buddies. They pray fervently to their God. And would you believe it? That night, their God gave them the dream and its interpretation. That young exile went before the king. The king was so amazed that at the end, he falls on the ground in obeisance to the God of this exile. Very short story number three. Once upon a later time, the three friends of that Jew exile young man are gathered with empire officials in a wide, sprawling plain. And in the middle of that plain is a tall, golden image. And the vain king announces, that image is me, and I am commanding you now to bow down to that image as a sign of your loyalty to me. The king's brass band began to play, and whoo, everybody on that plain, on their faces, worshiping the king. Except, you guessed it, the three friends of that young Jew exile. The king is livid. He bellows, make the furnace seven times hotter, and throw them in, and they do. (laughs) The king cannot believe his eyes because the three young men are walking as if there is no fire in town. And as he looks closely, there's another being that looks a lot like a god. And I love this part of the story. The king issues another order. Yo, boys, come out. And they come out. And the king issues a proclamation. There is no God greater than the God of these three boys, and I'll kill anybody who says there is. Very short story number three. Here comes, finally, number four. Very short story. Because that young Jew exile gets older. He gets older and older. And the empire's change, and the kings come and go, and he's still there, close to the throne. Some evil men are jealous of him, and they devise through duplicity a way to convince the king to pass a law that for the next 30 days nobody can pray to any other god but to me. The very next day after the law is passed, guess what? That now elderly Jewish exile boy, now man, opens the windows to his house and three public times prays to the God of gods and the Creator of heaven and earth. With glee, the evil men run to the king and demand the execution now of that elderly exile. The king is distraught, but there's no way to change the law. Into the lion's den the man goes. The king fasts and prays all night to the God of the exile, saying, surely you can deliver this boy. The next morning early, he hurries to that subterranean pit, and he calls down, his voice echoing, And he hears a human voice coming back from those roars. I want you to pick up this fourth story right here. Open your Bible to Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. We got to see this for ourselves. There's something going on here. Four exile stories. Very short, but very profound. The shared bottom line. We haven't seen it yet, but we're wondering, could it be? This is Daniel chapter 6. We'll pick it up in verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den, and when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The end. Four tales, one stunning bottom line that hasn't occurred to you yet either. Because, you see, when it comes to this quite unpleasant subject of persecution, which is a common denominator in four, all four exile stories, there's some there's some surprisingly good news. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up as a kid, and my folks would talk about persecution coming, and, boy, it made me nervous. I said, I don't want to go into persecution, whatever that is, I don't want it to happen to me. Jesus said, deliver us from evil. That's the prayer we ought to be praying. But imagine, as I have had this opportunity now to ponder the stories of these exiles, imagine to discover, imagine to discover that, in fact, there's some very good news. Now, look, if I had a whiteboard right here and I said, give me some reasons why God lets his friends be persecuted, we'd come up with at least three of them. We'd all agree. We got the three. We wouldn't come up with number four, but it's number four we need to understand today. So pull your study guide out right now. We'll turn it into that whiteboard. Pull out your study guide. It'll become your whiteboard, and we're going to write down four reasons God permits his friends to be persecuted. Those of you watching on live stream right now, you're already at the website. You just pull up that study guide. This is a little series called In Exile, Cadences of Home, title of episode number two today, Really, Really Faithful Under Fire. You'll see study guide, and you'll have the very one we have. All right? So you go to that website. Some of you are watching on TV, not live stream. You see the website in the bottom of that slide, www.newperceptions.tv. Okay, let's go. Four reasons. Why God permits his friends to be persecuted? Reason number one, persecution is the expected modus operandi of the devil. And may I remind you that the devil is evil with a D in front of it. He's nothing but trouble. He's evil to the basest core. He's not your friend. There is persecution because it is the expected modus operandi Motive operation of the devil in his great controversy warfare to do what? Jot it down. To silence the divine allies and exiles on Earth. You are an exile. I am an exile. There's one strategy. Silence her. Silence him. I don't care what you do. I don't care what it takes. Just get his voice shut. Turn it off. Those are the orders every demon of hell lives under. Just silence those exiles. Hmm. If you're an ally of God, if you're a disciple of Jesus, guess what? Whether you want to, whether you know it or not, you've already been marked. May I share a line with you? Put it on the screen. This is that line in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, Paul writes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be... Oh, did you have to read that one today? I mean, it's sunshining out there for Pete's sake. Nope. You want to live a godly life? Guess what? You've signed on for persecution. You pray the prayer, give me Jesus. Ooh. But I guess he was persecuted too, wasn't he? Yeah. You may be persecuted for your faith on the job. You may be persecuted for your faith in your marriage. You may be persecuted for your faith in your school. It doesn't matter where and it doesn't matter how. If you're persecuted for your faith, that's persecution. You don't have to have stones and guns and sticks and rocks. All right. Reason number two why God permits persecution to come to his closest friends. Number two, trials and tribulations grow character and dependency on God. That's why God allows human suffering. Some of you are suffering right now. That's the whole point. Suffering takes us through because of the great controversy between Christ and Satan. Welcome to it. Takes us through. So we have to suffer. Sorry. Never forget the words of Jesus on the eve of his own execution. So this is late Thursday night when Jesus speaks these words. You see them. John 16, verse 33, Jesus talking to his followers. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That's the whole goal. I want you to be at peace. And when the subject is true, you'll be at peace. In this world, Jesus goes on, you will have trouble or tribulation, depending on your translation. Put them both down. You will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But take heart. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world." What do you say to that? I have overcome the world, guys. The enemy has already been overcome. Not to worry. Whew. No wonder Peter wrote the way he did. And by the way, this is Peter, who, when it comes to his moment for martyrdom, he says, no, 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 you can't can't crucify me right side up. You got to crucify me. That's my Lord's way. You turn me upside down. Peter writes to the believers of that first-century church on the screen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. That's why they come. They test us as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. If you're singing with Julie, give me Jesus every morning, life will be an adventure and it will be a romance, and it will put you in the footsteps of your master who knows all about persecution. Sorry. It's okay. Peter says, Rejoice that you participate with him so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed, because Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. And he gets the last word. What do you say? Yep, that's it. Trials and tribulations. Some of you are going through trials and tribulations right now. Don't you worry. The Jesus you pray for every day is the Jesus who goes through those with you. Okay, number three. There are only four of these. Here comes number three. Why does God permit persecution for his friends? Persecution keeps the line of demarcation between the exiles and the culture of the captor clear. Walter Brueggemann, the great Old Testament scholar, in his wonderful book, Cadences of Home, Preaching Among Exiles. I love that book. That's where I got part of our title, Cadences of Home. Brueggemann writes, the great problem for exile, speaking of you and me, because he believes the church today is in exile. And so do I. The great problem for exiles is cultural assimilation. Ooh, would you write that big word down? Two S's? Cultural assimilation. What's, what's assimilation? That's where everything gets mixed together, and you can't, tell the, you can't tell the difference. They're just all running all over each other. Everything's the same. Cultural assimilation. Is the great problem for exiles. Keep reading. The primary threat to those ancient Jews was that members of the community would decide that Jewishness was too demanding. Or too dangerous. Or too costly. And simply accept Babylonian definitions and modes of reality. End quote. <laughs> That's the reason our schools exist. Do you know why Andrews University exists? For that very reason right there. Seventh-day Adventist church schools don't exist just so that our kids have something to do on Friday nights when they can't go to sports. That's hardly it. They exist to make clear the line of demarcation between the captor, the dark lord of of captivity, and the exiles. Line of demarcation. There's been a line drawn in the sand of the exiles' wilderness is it an easy line to draw? I'm telling you what. The longer I live, the more complicated it seems it is to, draw, to know where to draw that line. But it still must be drawn. We have to draw it. And hold the line. Lee Beach, in his book, The Church in Exile, Living in Hope After Christendom, one line, wise bit of, pithy bit of counsel here. While integration with culture is necessary, conformity to it in all aspects is not. You don't have to conform. You don't have to be sucked in and assimilated. You can stand up. Four exiled tales. Every one of them stood up. I got to tell you, Esther and Daniel had to live with dual loyalties. They had a loyalty to the king, and then they had this higher loyalty to their God. But when push came to shove, they are firstly loyal to their God. Jesus was praying for you and me there in John 17 when he says, Oh, Father, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. Just don't let them be of the world. In the world, but not of the world. That's how Jesus, that's the line of demarcation. I want you to be in, but not of. No assimilation. Stand tall. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be an Esther. Stand tall. All right. Ah, but there's a fourth reason. We wouldn't have put it on the whiteboard, because you wouldn't have thought of it. And I wouldn't have before looking at these stories. There's a fourth reason for persecution I find utterly stunning and clearly evident in the diasporic. And that's what they call the diasporas, when the Jews are spread. These, they call them diasporic or diasporic morality tales. There's something there we haven't caught. Number four, write it down. Here it is. Persecution actually grows the kingdom of God on Earth. Amazing, amazing! Persecution grows the kingdom. Consider the biblical evidence. Last week, we purposely left left a line out of Esther's story. You've never you've you've never read this line. You read right through it, but you've never stopped and looked at this line. I want you to look at it in your Bible right now. Come on, find find Esther. It's not after Daniel, though she lived after Daniel. You got to go back before the Psalms, before Job, and then you'll run into Esther. Go to Esther chapter eight, please. Esther chapter eight. Drop down to verse 17. Esther chapter 8, verse 17. We just blow right through this. We're so excited that the story is finally turning out to be good news for the Jews. (laughs) Esther chapter 8. So the Hamans decreed death overnight. One day universal death decree. The king countermands it. And when the Jews hear that it's been countermanded, they're rejoicing. Verse 17, the last verse of Esther chapter 8 in every province and in every city to which the edict of the king Came. There was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. Now, here it comes. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because of the fear, because the fear of the Jews had seized them. You never saw that before in your life. But here's the point persecution grows the kingdom of God on earth. And it happened with Esther, they became Jews. The the decree to exterminate the Jews, coupled with their courageous stand, we will not bow. No matter what the decree is, we will only stand for our God. That just wowed the neighbors, and they said, there's something about this religion we do not understand. And many of them became Jews. Isn't that amazing? Never, by the way, underestimate the power of an exile's witness under duress. You're on the job and you're under duress? That's when your witness shines. You're in a marriage that's not working out? That's when your witness shines. You're in a school where they're making fun of your faith? That's when your witness shines. Don't bail out now. You're exactly where God needs you, because persecution grows the kingdom of God on Earth. Man. And by the way, did you notice That response during the time of Esther had already been precedented, because Daniel happens before Esther, with all the monarchs that Daniel has dealings with. Did you notice that? Come on. I want you to jot these down. This just blows your mind, but it's there. Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's dream. What does the king do at the end? The king falls at Daniel's feet in obeisance to Daniel's God. Persecution. I'm gonna kill all of you. And the king says, your God's a God. Here's another one. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the king's image. What happens there? The king decrees their God above all other gods. Same king. Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, after his insanity, that's one little morality tale we didn't touch. After his seven years of insanity, Nebuchadnezzar now gives a personal testimony, and it's a, it's a, this is an exact quote. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king. Listen, the king of heaven. You can praise somebody. You can exalt somebody. But when you use the word glorify, you are saying, I am bowing down in adoration and worship to this being. Whatever you glorify, you worship. If you glorify your money, you're worshiping it. If you're glorifying your possessions, you're worshiping it. If you're glorifying your success, you're worshiping it. Whatever you glorify, you worship. And he confesses, I glorify the King of Heaven. Wow. Because everything he does is right. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar got saved. Let me hear an amen for the saved king. When you get to heaven, I want you to look up the guy with a funny-looking beard. That's Nebuchadnezzar. And you go and give him a high five, and you say, you know what? Your story inspired me. If God had not ha- had exiles in place in both kingdoms and empires, the kings would never have been saved. Impossible. Somebody has to get close to a person of influence. Some of you need to be praying for persons of influence in the world today, because you may be the one that God is planning to get close to one of those persons of influence. You never know. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Daniel and Darius the Great, Darius issues this decree. We read it just a moment ago. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. In other words, the persecutions of Esther, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all resulted in a major net gain for God of both monarchs and peoples. Persecution grows the kingdom of God on earth. Tertullian, the ancient church father, during a bloody and bitter time in the early history of the Roman Empire, or the early history of the Christian church. It's going on in the Roman Empire. Tertullian wrote this line. You've heard it before. The blood of Christians is what? Come on, say it out loud. The blood of Christians is seed. What do you do with seed? You plant seed, because seed planted then bursts into a harvest, right? The blood of Christians is seed persecution grows the kingdom of God on earth. A friend of mine gave me uh, the second volume of Frederick Dale Bruner's marvelous commentary on the book of Daniel. So this is volume two, the last half of Daniel, where Bruner is commenting on Jesus' warning in Matthew 24, verse 9. He says, by the way, they're going to kill you. (laughs) I just need you to know they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you after I leave. I'm telling you, they will kill you. Bruner commenting on that. Oh, this is good. Put it on the screen for you. In Matthean and biblical teaching, the tribulation of the latter days that Jesus spoke of is a Christian experience and runs from the first advent to the second. He said, Bruner says, look at, guys, we're in it. The tribulation or persecution is the essence of Christian mission. Key word. A winnowed, persecuted, purged minority church paradoxically, evangelically, we'd say evangelistically, grows. All the biblical evidence, the comments are all conspiring to lead us to one conclusion. Persecution grows the kingdom of God on the earth. That's it. You never thought about that before, neither did I. But that must be why he has exiles. That must be why he has a diaspora. He wants to move His people out. I mean, look what happened to the church in the, in the New Testament. Look at this. This is Acts chapter, Acts chapter 8. On that great day after the stoning of Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were... What's the word? That's why God allows persecution. Get them out. You guys are like a, like a salt lick around here at Berrien Springs. You're not going anywhere. You, you die here. You come here early. You die in the end. You haven't done a thing for me beyond this little village, and you're only talking to yourselves here anyway. Guys, it's the truth. It's the truth. But God has a way. God has a way to get us off our what, uh, what uh, my friend Michael Hales called the behind. <laughs> God has a way to get us off our behinds. Out, 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 out. Go, go, go. That's what happened. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And what did they do when they were scattered? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. <laughs> Everybody's preaching now. We don't have a professional clientele because the professional clientele is still back in Jerusalem, so everybody else is preaching. They don't have credentials. They're just preaching. Women and men. Man. Persecution is how God grows His kingdom and church. And by the way, look what's happening in China. Look what's happening in Islamic countries. The number one repressive regime on the planet today against Christianity? North Korea. The number one. OpendoorsUSA.org. Go look at that sometime. Mm -hmm. The number one regime is North Korea against Christians. But have you noticed this? The more repressive the government becomes, the more the church explodes? That's the point. Wow. That's what happened with Persia. Haman's death decree I'm going to read Esther 8:17 again that last line and and many many people of other nationalities became Jews because of the fear of the Jews had seized them Christian scholars agree that one line is hugely missional in its intent persecution grows the kingdom of God it happened that way for Esther, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's gonna happen that way for you and me, because now we come to the, where the rubber meets the road, and we're gonna talk very frankly here. That should be good news for us when we're hearing all of this. Exiles, as you and I are, we who, like these Jews, are exile Sabbatarians, worshiping the Creator God of the universe, who on the seventh day set aside the Sabbath as an eternal memorial of his lordship over creation. Yep. Let's not kid ourselves. Revelation 13, which is about the sea beast and the, and the earth beast and the mark of the beast. Revelation 13 is clear enough. There is coming one day sooner than we may imagine a strong and violent pushback against the faith community that refuses to bow down to the authority of the majority in their tampering with the fourth commandment. We're not bowing down. We will not bow down. I don't care what you say. Heat it seven times hotter. It's fine by me. And if my God does not save me, I'm not worried. He still wins. (laughs) I don't have to be saved for him to win. Wow. Just like the Jews of old, this countercultural community of Sabbatarians will become, to quote Brunner, a winnowed, persecuted, purged, minority church that grows. Revelations predicted persecution at the hands of Babylon with its own universal death decree, just like Haman's precipitates a final burst of harvest, harvest growth for God's kingdom. That's why that, that universal death decree will come. Yeah, but we, it, it'll go whoosh, right over our heads. Sorry. Last quotation. Little American writer named Ellen White on the screen a century ago links persecution to growth. Watch this. The two armies. So she's talking about two different faith communities. By the way, at the end of time, there are not going to be three, three choices. they are not going to be four choices. they are not going to be five, six, 10, 20. No, there will be only two. Light and darkness, truth and error. The two armies, the two faith communities, this is something, will stand distinct and separate, and this distinction will be so marked that many who are over here in the darkness shall be convinced of truth and will come on the side of God's commandment- keeping people. Persecution will grow the kingdom right at the end, before the the last curtain drops. Now I would have been glad if she just stopped right there because that's fine. Okay, I accept it. That. It's a little principle. Persecution grows the kingdom of God on earth. But no, she says, let me tell you what will be happening at that time. Read the next sentence. When this grand work is to take place in the battle, many—oh, did, did you have to use that word, many? Many will be imprisoned. Ah. many, many, many will flee for their lives from cities and towns, and many will be—what's the word? What's the word? Many will be martyrs. See, we think that. Won't happen to me? No, because I'm faithful. I'll come out of that fiery furnace just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not to worry. You better not uh, put stake all your faith in Jesus on that outcome. Many in the final battle will be martyred. Why? Because the blood of martyrs, the blood of Christians, is seed. And when blood gets planted, The kingdom grows with new people flocking. Well, whatever it is that makes him stand like this, whatever it is that makes her stand this way, I want it. I want it for me. That's what happened with Esther. Many. There'll be many martyrs for Christ's sake in standing in defense of the truth, end quote. Is anybody here surprised? I mean, come on, tell me, honestly, are you surprised? Did you think we had a get-out-of-jail-free card that takes us all the way to the kingdom? That's monopoly, folks. This is life. It's going to come. You trying to intimidate me, Dwight? Nope, I'm not. But I am asking for a reality check because some of us are living as if we had forever, never have to make a decision for Jesus. I'm just going to live it. I've got my portfolio. We're going to have a wonderful retirement one of these days, and that's life for me. Wrong. Because one day, all those portfolios will be dust and ash. And you'll have to stand with nothing under you but the Word of God itself. Then we'll find out who the men and women are from the boys and the girls. There's no intimidation in this, folks, but look at if the blood of martyrs is seed, then why wouldn't God permit persecution to come to his last faith community on earth to, to keep building up his kingdom one last chance? If persecution grows the kingdom, why not? And what if it came to you? Jesus said, don't be surprised, Jesus said this, that same upper room. Just before his death, remember, on the screen, remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, what are they gonna do? They're gonna go after you, buddy. Sis, they're going after you. Why? Because you belong to him. Silence them. Remember the dragon. Silence them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer never wanted to miss a beat. is absolutely right. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That, goes, that comes with your calling. When Christ calls a woman, he bids her come and die. It goes with the calling. If you're praying every morning, give me Jesus, then guess what? You got the calling. I'm not trying to intimidate you. You ought to be thankful. Hey, listen, listen, listen. If you are called, if the call of martyr comes to you, if the call of martyr comes to you, the faith of martyr will be given to you. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't get all Twitter-pated in advance. Just be at peace. Oh, I love what our music- musician sang just a moment ago, and I ran over to Dan. I said, Dan, come on, give me those words on paper. I got to read them. We sang this just a moment ago. Thank you, Cindy Gugu. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he's a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. Hallelujah. You have nothing to be afraid of. Girl, boy, you have nothing to be afraid of. What do you got to lose? Look, and if Jesus should come to me right now and say, Dwight, I have determined, I've just done a little calculus here, I have determined that if you die now, I get more in my kingdom than if you keep living. If Jesus would come to me and say, do you mind if we just kind of not so natural as your expectations were, if we kind of go with death now for you, what am I going to say? No. I don't care about you growing your kingdom. I just want to live as long as I possibly can. Am I going to say that? I'm not going to say that. No. You need me to die now? Are you serious, Lord? You get more now than if I just die of old age? Trust me, Dwight, we get more. You got it. You're just going to go to sleep. You understand that? I don't care how you die. (laughs) You're going to go to sleep. That's all it is. The next thing you see, the king of kings, Esther's king and Daniel's king, is sitting on a cloud, and he's saying, get home. Let's go, exiles. Let's go home. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. Cut my head off like they do on videos in Islamic worlds. (laughs) Go ahead. I'm still coming back. Isn't that great news? Listen, don't you worry about it. The God of the universe, just give me Jesus. You just pray that every morning. Give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Life will be an adventure and a romance, and you'll never be the same again. You pray that prayer every morning, and you mean it. It'll never be the same again. Doesn't that make you happy? It does me. When I'm sitting here watching you sing, and I'm listening, and I'm saying, my God, I don't know when your clock stops. But if this is the group that's going to be the exiles, mobilized the last time, take them. Take them. Look at them. Listen to them. They love you. They want to give everything to you. Honor that. Grow your kingdom. Take us home. What do you say? Amen. All right. Connect card is right there. Let's take a moment to uh, respond attached to your worship summer worship bulletin right there at the bottom. We have guests who are here. Delighted to have you. Just fill in the front of the card so that you're comfortable. And on the back, my next step today, down in the second half there, if following Jesus means persecution for his sake, then by his grace may I be faithful. If, if that's what it means, okay, may I be faithful? Who, who here wouldn't want that? How about number two? Now, this is a little harder. If persecution is how God grows his kingdom, then may my witness in persecution glorify him. In other words, if you need persecution in my life, if that will glorify you, you may have my life. Do with it whatever you wish. And number three, I want to follow Jesus in baptism. Because that's what, that's what baptism is. You, you, you're aligning yourself with the Jesus who said, Hey, pick up your cross, girl. Boy, pick up that cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Come on, come on. Let's go. You have a cross and I have a cross. We follow him. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of you. You'll never, you'll never regret saying, no, nah, i got to follow Jesus in baptism. If you haven't been baptized? Put a check mark there. We're having a beautiful outdoor baptism July 20. Ah, let's sing. There's this beautiful song where Jesus is actually singing to us, So Send I You. You've got to concentrate on these words. Now, our ushers are going to lo- come through right now and receive our morning tithes and offerings and our Connect cards. so just put it upside down, put it there, and they have to get the plate all the way down. It takes a little longer here than it does at Pioneer. That's okay. We've got a great song. And Jesus is singing these words that we sing. He's speaking to us. Let's do it. So Send I You.